Turn with me tonight in your Bible to the book of Job. The book of Job. We're going to read in Job chapter 2. Let's hear the word of God. Reading, of course, as I've said often, from the authorized version, a most faithful and reliable translation of the Holy Scriptures. Job chapter 2, we'll read from verse 1. Follow the reading. We'll come up on screen for those online. Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan came also among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said unto Satan, From whence comest thou? And Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth, and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth? a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil. And still he holdeth fast his integrity, although thou movest me against him to destroy him without cause. And Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, yea, all that a man hath will he give for his life. But put forth thine hand now, and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, he is in thine hand, but save his life. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot unto his crown. And he took a pot shirt to scrape himself with all, and he sat down among the ashes. Then said his wife unto him, Dost thou still retain thine integrity? Curse God and die. But he said unto her, Thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. What? Shall we receive good at the hand of God? And shall we not receive evil? In all this did not Job sin with his lips. Now when Job's three friends heard of all this evil that was come upon him, they came every one from his own place, Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and so far the Nathamite. For they had made an appointment together to come to mourn with him and comfort him. And when they lifted up their eyes afar off and knew him not, they lifted up their voice and wept. And then they rent every one his mantle and sprinkled dust upon their heads toward heaven. So they sat down with him upon the ground seven days and seven nights, and none spake a word unto him, for they saw that his grief was very great. Amen. End the reading there at verse 13. And we pray the Lord will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of his own precious and infallible word. Now my text tonight is taken from Job chapter 2 and verse 11 and it says this 
Now when Job's three friends heard of all this evil that was come upon him, they came every one from his own place, Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and so for the uh, Nathamite. For they had made an appointment together to come to mourn with him and to comfort him. And if you look down at verse 13, we read, So they sat down with him upon the ground seven days and seven nights, and none speak a word unto him, for they saw that his grief was very great. Now, I even titled this subject tonight, The Bitterness and Blessedness of Bereavement. Now, this is a solemn subject. It's a serious subject. How do you face, handle, cope with bereavement and death that comes into your family? Let's all recognize and remember that one day death will come even for us. And it will take us away from all that we hold dear and all that we have. And all that we've known in life, for one day we will die. The Bible says, for we must needs die. One day there's not a family here or a family that's listening to me that will not, in a time to come, go through the grief of bereavement. And in the future, and you may have already faced it in the past, you will face this dark, difficult subject of bereavement and death. Now, as I thought of Job and his three friends, we read in the scriptures, for they had made an appointment together to come to mourn with him and to comfort him. And if we link up verse 13, for they saw that his grief was very great. Now, I have just two points tonight and a number of subpoints under each point. I want you to think, first of all, of the bitter reality of bereavement. It says in Job chapter 2, 13, his grief was very great. You know, I want you to think that bereavement is real. Death, the Bible teaches, is an awful reality. Hebrews 9 and 27, and is appointed unto men once to die, and after this the judgment. Each and every one of us, at some time in the future, has an appointment with death that God has set, an appointment that we'll keep, with no exceptions and no exemptions. And I believe that there's no subject more difficult to face the knot of the subject of death. The strange thing is that there was an English writer wrote one time that death was dull and a dreary subject. He offered his advice to his readers, and this was the advice, have nothing to do with death whatsoever. But I was thinking, but that's a strange thing. That's a silly thing. Why? Because you can't dodge death. One day we will die. One day death will come and a family member will be taken from us. Turn over there in your Bible to the book of um, Genesis, Genesis chapter 23. Listen to these words. And Sarah was 107 and 20 years old. These were the years of the life of Sarah. 
And Sarah died in Kirjath Arabah, the same as Hebron, in the land of Canaan. That's important. And Abraham came to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. Two verses that teach us about the death of Sarah. Abraham's wife. She was aged 127. In fact, she's the only woman in the Bible who has her age recorded. And she was buried in the city of Hebron, in a cave there called the Cave of Pilah. And Abraham purchased that cave and the field along with it from the sons of Hearth. In fact, it's the only piece of real estate that Abraham owned in the land of Canaan. If you turn over there to the book of Genesis again, and this time Genesis chapter 25, and look with me at verses 8 to 10, we read this. Then Abraham gave up the ghost and died in a good old age, an old man and full of years, and was gathered to his people. And his sons Isaac and Ishmael buried him in the cave of Machpelah, in the field of Ephraim, the son of Zohar, the Hittite, which is before Mamre, the field which Abraham purchased of the sons of Heth. There was Abraham buried and Sarah, his wife. Now, now, keep going in the scriptures. Genesis chapter 35. I know I'm making you read the scriptures. Well, that's a good thing. Look with me at Genesis 35 and verse 8. We read... But Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died, and she was buried beneath Bethel under an oak, and the name of it was called Alon Bacoth. Now that's important. And keep going, come to chapter 35 and verse 16 and through to 18. It says, And they journeyed from Bethel. And there was but a little way to come of Ephra, and Rachel travailed, and she was, had hard labor. And it came to pass, when she was in hard labor, that the midwife said unto her, Fear not, thou shalt have this son also. And it came to pass, as her soul was in departing, for she died, that she called his name Benoni, but his father called him Benjamin. And Rachel died and was buried in the way to Ephrah, which is Bethlehem. And if we come then down to um, Genesis 35 and verse 27, verse 28, and the days of Isaac were an hundred and fourscore years. And Isaac gave up the ghost and died and was gathered unto his people, being old and full of years. And his sons Esau and Jacob buried him. Now, I could go on and on. We could talk about Ruth. Remember, there's three deaths in the first chapter of Ruth. Elimelech and the two sons, Malon and Kilion. And that death of her husband and two sons left Naomi, especially in a state of bitterness. Remember, she talked about in Ruth chapter 1, verse 13, the hand of God has gone out against me. And whenever she came back to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest, and people said, is, is that you, Naomi? She'd been away 10 years. Here was the response. Don't call me Naomi. That means pleasant. Call me Mara. 
which is bitter. Why? And she testified. This is what she said. The Lord hath dealt bitterly with me. You see, I believe that Naomi, sadly, was living in a state of deep grief. She had a very morbid outlook in life. We would even say she was in a state of deep depression. Wasn't it Job that said, man that's born of woman is a few days and full of trouble as the sparks fly upward? And here's Job himself. And what do we read of him? His grief was very great. Why? Well, in chapter 1, we read the story in the account of 10 of his children being killed in very day, in one day. And I would say tonight to all of us, remember that we've got to prepare for the day of death. That day is coming. And one day, and in a certain hour, death will come calling. And the cold hand of death will reach out to us. Because the Bible says there, listen to these words in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and 26. It says, the last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. You see, death is not natural. Death is an enemy. Death, we could really say, is a great enemy. And I want to tell you, death is one of the biggest tests of our faith. Being a true believer doesn't exempt us from death. And bereavement will come unless we're alive in the earth when the Lord Jesus returns. And we'll not escape death. And we'll not escape bereavement. And we'll not escape grief. And we can't postpone it. We must learn to view death realistically. Bereavement is real. One day our loved ones will die. Our friends will die. Work colleagues will die. One day we will die. And here's the question. How do we face death? Do you recognize death as an enemy tonight? An enemy that has entered the human race because that enemy is actually God's curse because of sin. Romans 5 and 12, wherefore as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin and so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. It's not a natural part of life. Death is an enemy. Oh yes, it's true that Jesus Christ abolished death. Uh, listen to these words in 2 Timothy and in uh, chapter 1 and in the verse 10. But is now manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to life through the gospel. What does it mean, abolish death? It means he broke its power. Christ in his resurrection victory triumphed over death. And, and, and we live in the light of his resurrection victory. We live in the light of his return. And because he has risen bodily from the dead, his bodily resurrection guarantees that we will also in Christ have a bodily resurrection from the dead. We will enjoy new resurrected bodies. But until that day comes, until resurrection day dawns, until the return of Christ, we must view death as a real enemy. It's a reminder of God's curse upon the world for its sin. Bereavement is real. I want to tell you something else. Bereavement is raw. You see, there's some people imagine that bereavement and death, well, it's not really that painful. Remember, God loves you. 
Don't be crying. Don't be sad. It doesn't hurt. It doesn't hurt me. Just, just smile. I remember hearing a story about two ministers. One was taking the funeral service and at the graveside, this dear lady who just buried her husband and she was, as we had say in Bush Mills, she was born and greeting and the tears were flowing. And the other minister, he stepped forward as she was bawling and greeting and said, don't be crying. Your husband's in heaven. Just praise the Lord. The other minister who was taking the service wanted to punch his colleague in the face because he had forgotten not only was bereavement real, but bereavement is raw. And you see, when loved ones are taken, and we who are left behind as family members, well, we have got certain fears. We have certain questions. We have certain issues. And there's not one of us here that's so spiritual that's not touched in the deepest part of our heart and soul. Not brought low, not, not driven to despair, not driven to madness, not driven to something that we can't handle, not, Lord, uh, impacting the loss. You think of the loss of a mother in a home. What about the loss of a wife? Abraham's wife died at age 127. What about the loss of a father? What about the loss of a husband? The wife's left. What about the loss of a child from the home? Isn't that a big tragedy? Can you tell me that that doesn't hurt? That that's not painful? That that doesn't make you want to cry and bawl your eyes out? What about the loss of a baby? You ladies know what I'm talking about. For you all have, could speak of someone who's lost a baby, maybe in childbirth, like Rachel. Or lost a baby in stillbirth. You see, the Bible's real. The Bible's up to date. I want to tell you, people come and they forget that this is very uncomfortable stuff, bereavement and grief. They, they, they forget this is a dark chapter that's come into your life. And they might offer trite, empty words, mere platitudes, meaningless words that, that do nothing to comfort. Bereavement and grief's not over even after the burial. Sure it's not. It can last for weeks, months could last for years. I'll tell you one thing it does. It impacts in your life. And it impacts on the rest of your days in various forms. Do you know that in Victorian times they mourned at least for a year? Whether that was from their own experience or culture or respect for the dead, they wore black for a year. And that was the symbol of grief. And what do we read about Abraham? Genesis chapter 23. Did you pick up on the reading? And Abraham came to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. We read of Job. His grief was very great. I want to tell you, there's nothing unmanly about grief or tears. There's nothing unbiblical about grief and tears. We read John 11 verse 35. Jesus wept. We read this morning, Romans 12 and 15, weep with those that weep. Do you know that when Queen Victoria experienced the death of her beloved prince, Prince Albert, and young people, if you go down to Belfast, the Albert clock, it was built as a memorial for Prince Albert. I just want to point that out. But for a whole year, Queen Victoria was dressed in black. And she was often moved to tears. 
People come to sympathize, just burst into tears for no reason. And of course, it upset a lot of people, even upset the prime minister of the time. I can't remember who it was, but he came and told her off. Basically told her she needed to stop weeping and, and wise up. But that was wrong. Because there's nothing unmanly about grief and tears. She had experienced a great loss. The story is told that during one of those days of painful loss, somewhere in her vast estate of palaces and buildings that she owned, there, there was a, a commoner died. He, he was like the grass cutter, the, the, the hedge trimmer, the, 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 the worker. You know what I mean. Just a common man. And one day a fancy carriage arrived outside the cottage. Footmen got out, door opened it, Queen Victoria, dressed in black. And she went into the wee cottage, she was in there for 15 and 20 minutes, and she went back out again, the cottage went away. Well, you know what the neighbours would be like. If it happened and carried off, they'd all be running to the manse. Was that the Queen I seen in? So this is what they said to the woman. What did Queen Victoria say to you? Nothing. What do you mean nothing? She was in here for 15 or 20 minutes. Did you make her tea? No. But what did you do? She said, she sat down beside me. She put her arms around me. And we wept together. See, bereavement is raw. I want to tell you something else. Think of bereavement's reach. Death is no respecter of persons. The old will die. The young may die. And we in this church, well, we have experienced the cold hand of death coming and taking away precious loved ones. I don't want to go too far back, but we think of the death of Agnes Keys. We think of the death of my own mother-in-law. We think of the death of Frank Campbell, Wesley Irvine, William Coulter. We, we, we think of the death, even as we were praying for the Gray family and the death of Inver Gray, going off to holidays to meet her family in America, taking sick there, being diagnosed with a terminal illness, and dying there. We've been praying for the Arnold family this past couple of years. Young Matthew Arnold met Jesus at the crossroads there outside. Donna Cloney, age 24, an accident in the motorbike, leaving a wife and, and a, and a three-year-old baby, or a three-week-old baby. Here's Abraham, and he's got the loss of a wife. 127 years Sarah had left, and he loved her. And I, I believe he was heartbroken. And I believe he experienced the reality of loneliness. You see, is there not pain and separation? Where your loved one is no longer with you. Dad is gone. Mum is gone. The baby's gone. See, see, what did Abraham say to the sons of Heth? Let me yet bury my dead out of my sight. You see, before death, the loved one's with us. 24-7. You love them. You delight to see them. Their smiling face, their twinkling eye. The whole of their life, they're together. Think of young lovers, Abraham and Sarah. I believe they were young lovers. You think of those that are newlyweds. Matthew Arnold and Kira comes to mind again. You, you, you think after death, well, they're gone. Sarah was with Abraham, I believe, in the earth of Chaldees. She shared in his anxieties, his fears. She went to Canaan with him. She waited for the son of promise with him. And, and Isaac, who's now 37 years of age, and he was born when Sarah was 90, 
left a hole and nothing could fill the hole. And I think in Genesis 23, Abraham was a lonely man full of grief taking care of funeral arrangements. You ask me to sum that chapter up, that's what I would say. A lonely man full of grief who had lost his wife at 127 years of age and he's taking care of the funeral arrangements. It's not easy. What is death? Physical death is the giving up of the ghost, the soul leaving the body. We don't believe in soul sleep, we don't believe in annihilation, but that's what death is. And it's real, it's raw, and it reaches every one of us, from the oldest that we could think of, right to the babies at the womb. That's the bitter reality of bereavement. Think very secondly and very quickly. Think of the blessed victory of bereavement. And I've asked myself this question. How does the child of God view bereavement and death? And I've got four little sub-points. Let me just leave them with you for the time that we have. The Christian views death submissively. You see, the Christian lives in godly submission to the will of God. What did Job say to his wife when his wife said, curse God and die? Well, this is what Job said. He says, Then Job arose and rent his mantle and shaved his head and fell down upon the ground and worshipped and said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. Now Job's wife said, Curse God and die. But Job didn't say a bad word against God. And that wasn't easy. The Lord gave, the Lord have taken away. Blessed be the name of God. And you see, that was the fault with Naomi. Naomi's husband and her made the bad decision to leave Bethlehem, Judah, for the land of Moab. Husband died there, two sons died, and she blamed the Lord. The Lord have dealt very bitterly with me. The decision to leave Bethlehem, Judah affected the whole family. No prayer, no, no counsel of the Lord. Naomi, I believe, ended up resentful and, 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 and full of grief and, 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 and was almost loathing life. The true child of God has a different approach. He's subject to the nature of God and death. See, Job recognized God as sovereign. God is all wise. We are his creatures of clay and dust. He gives us breath. He gives us all things to joy. Uh, it's his to give. It's his to take away. God's not answerable to us. He, he owes us nothing. We don't know the future. God's in absolute control. And that was Job's point. He was subject to the nature of God. The child of God is also subject to the nature of death. As I've said, death's an enemy. Death is the result of the curse. It's the judgment of God because of sin. It's a reminder of God's judgment upon sin. But listen to me, those in Christ, the curse has been taken away. The curse has been broken. Death for the child of God is not a curse. It's, it's the gateway to heaven. Did the Lord Jesus Christ not take the curse in his own body in the tree? Does the Bible not say, Psalm 116, 15, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints? You see, that's God's view of death. 
And that's how we should view death. The death of our loved ones is precious to the Lord. The child of God not only submits to the nature of God and the nature of death, but the child of God submits to the nature of the gospel. How do we view death? We see death through the lens of the gospel. We see it through the eyes of the Lord Jesus. We see it in light of Calvary. We see it in light of the work of Christ. His victory over sin, the grave. His victory in fulfilling the law. His victory over the devil by the uh, power of his atoning blood. Death has lost its sting. The sting is gone. Yes, there's still a true sense of loss. Yes, the pain is real and raw. But we see death in the light of Calvary. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ. We, we then view death as but the vestibule to glory, as, as a great event, as a, as a kind of a, a celebration. We don't celebrate merely the life that's lived, but we celebrate the fact that this soul has gone home to be with Christ. Paul says, for me to live as Christ and to die is gain. And remember the Lord Jesus said in John chapter 17 and in the verse 24, John 17 and verse 24, Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given thee be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. The Christian views death sovereignly, submissively. The Christian views death sufficiently. You see, if you think of the death of a spouse or the death of a husband, the death of a father, sometimes the family gets together and thinks like this, what are we going to do without her? What are we going to do without him? In other words, how are we going to face the future? If the breadwinner sets the husband or the father's gone, well, that's the key person in the family. It's not going to be the same, is it? How are we going to cope? And here's the answer. The Christian's view is this. God is able. God is sufficient. Why? Because he's described as the God of the fatherless. When my mother and father forsake me, taken in death, then the Lord will take me up. He's the God of the widow and the orphan. He's the God of all hope peace and comfort. He is the God of all grace. Yes, death brings darkness and difficulty into the life. Yes, death leaves you in dismal despair. But true faith responds with these words, God is able. God is sufficient. God will help me. See, see what's the opposite? Well, it's unbelief. It's a lack of trust. It's saying God is not able. And people turn from God and the gospel and turn from Christ and they turn to other things to find comfort. And that comfort could be in booze. They end up becoming a drunkard or an alcoholic. That, 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 that um, uh, the other thing could be something else other than booze. But the Christian views death sufficiently because God is able. Can I tell you something else? He views death scripturally. You see, we have many questions, haven't we, when a loved one dies? If... Why? What if? Let me tell you a little story. Some of you may remember this uh, incident. There's a, a Baptist pastor called Samuel Gordon. I believe his wife was also called Lois. This is way back in the 1960s. And one of his sons, I think they bought them a bike for the birthday. Could have been Christmas. 
I think the wife who was an accountant got the wee fella a paper run. And sadly, very strangely, that little boy was knocked down and killed in that paper run. And Samuel and Lois struggled. You see, they asked themselves, what if I hadn't bought the bake? What if I hadn't got the paper run? And how do I know that? Because they wrote a book, and the book was called It's Hurting Lord. And you see, we have so many questions. Why? What if? And the dark cloud of grief comes upon them and sidetracks them. And, and one of the things that Samuel and Noah discovered as, as children of God, as involved in the Lord's work, was this. We need to fully rely on the word of God. And I would say this. If you're experiencing this dark valley of bereavement and grief, don't make any huge decisions. I have known people to make a huge decision on the spur of the moment, bereavement and death. I can't live here. I can't face it. Pack up. Have to move. Sell out. Sell up. And you know in the new place, they're as miserable as ever. And they go into despair. And you see, some people ask themselves questions. A dear lady asked me this, and, and I won't mention her name. Is God angry with me, David? Is God punishing me that he took away my child? You see, that's a real question, folks, isn't it? Well, let's ask Job. Not only one child in one day, but ten. Could you imagine ten little coffins? Been carried down the road to the burying place. And there's a broken hearted father. And, and mourners coming. And where's the wife? Well she's in that big of grief and bitterness. She's cursing God and she can't come. Can you get the picture? Oh Job said the Lord giveth. The Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He's not only is he submissive. To the will of God. But he views God as able even in his grief. And he remembers the scriptures. The scriptures that he's learned. Human life is a gift. We're totally dependent on him. Everything we have. Strength, food, clothes, money, breath, loved ones, family, children, husband and wife, work, cattle. They're all daily gifts. And one day he can give them. Another day he can take them away. And it's not a judgment. God wasn't angry with Job. Job didn't sin. Job was a spiritual man. Fully committed. Hated evil. He's the best of example of a godly man that I know in the Bible. And you see, Job didn't know nor did he see the drama that was going on between God and Satan in heaven. He didn't know about the test. And if you're saying to me tonight, but I can't sleep. My pillow's wet with tears. I can't eat. I, I can't think right. Then what do you need? Well, I'll tell you what you need. You need to view death scripturally. You need to get a portion of the word of God. Let, let me just read a couple of scriptures to you. Turn over there to 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. He says, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. That's those that have died. That ye sorrow not even as others which have no hope. You see, there was those in Paul's day and said, 
What about our loved ones whose bodies are buried in the grave? They have missed the second coming of Christ because there were those that said the second coming had already come. And, and Paul was saying, but wait a minute, I don't want you to be ignorant. I, I don't want you to do something daft or silly. Stop and think about this. There was others said that they had missed the resurrection. And see, regardless of what the question is, whether you think, well, God is punishing me, or why did my loved one die prematurely? You see, even that, remember, God is sovereign. From a human perspective, they've died too young. Whether it's a baby in the womb, or a baby of three or four, or a young boy in a bike, or a young boy in a motorbike at 24, like Matthew, you know, we have to view it not from a human point of view, but from a sovereign point of view. God's on the throne. And the death is never too early. It's never too late. And we have to view that from a scriptural point of view. One final thing. The Christian not only views death submissively and sufficiently and scripturally, but he views death sorrowingly. Now look at this scripture as we finish. First Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 13. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. You see, here's the right balance, isn't there? It's coming forth in Paul's writings. There's a group of people that sorrow with hope. And there's a group of people that sorrow without hope. And which camp are you tonight? You see, there are some people, and I have met them, loved ones died. Sorry to hear about the bereavement that you've had. And they say, oh, he's with the Lord. It's wonderful. I'm going to meet them in heaven. And they have no tears. There's no grief. There doesn't seem to be any heartache. As if they're glad to see their loved ones gone. That's, that's an improper balance. And, and there's others... And they mourn. And in their grief, they seem to be angry and bitter and upset. They're in total despair and they fall to pieces. Well, let's remember the Christian views death sorrowingly. He sorrows with hope. There's those who sorrow without hope. They have no Christ. They don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. They have no gospel, no good news. They, they reject the Bible. They have no knowledge of God's salvation. They have no assurance of heaven. But here's the true words of comfort for the Christian. He sees it all through the gospel. Through the Lord Jesus Christ. Even though death is real and raw and death is reached. And even though he weeps and cries and there's no shame and tears. Jesus wept, the Bible tells us. People tell us, don't be crying. It's better for them. Well, if you want to weep and grieve the loss of a loved one, grieve that pain and separation, grieve because you, you loved them, and grieve because you missed their company, then go ahead and grieve. But as we sorrow, let's remember to sovereignly submit to God. Let's remember God is able. Let's remember the scriptures of truth. And every question we have, bring it to the Bible. Could I say in closing tonight, we ought to live every day as if it's our last day, for we don't know when the last day will come. 
Every day is a gift. The Bible says, teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. And how many, and there may be some tonight listening to me, and you're not a true believer. You don't know Christ. And you have no hope. And if the day of your death was to come tonight or tomorrow, you will face it without the Lord. You'll face it alone. The Bible teaches the sentiment of going down the valley one by one. And how many have no hope of a resurrection? No, no hope of a return of Christ to receive them to glory. Why? Because they're without Christ. And yet death is coming for them as an enemy. A bitter enemy. Could I point out tonight that sorrow is real. But that sorrow can be neutered. That sorrow can be eased when you have the great hope of knowing Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And yet many have no hope and therefore have no comfort. Paul says, wherefore comfort one another with these words. But if you don't believe that Jesus died and rose again, then those who sleep in Jesus, you have no assurance that God will bring with them and you're not among them. Here's the blessed victory of bereavement. The Christian's view of death. May the Lord take these few words and bless them to us this evening and give understanding and help to all who have heard God's precious word.